This is Brendan Fletcher, the writer of Black Canary, and you're listening to the Flowers and Fishnets podcast. Dinah Lance is a fighter, and her one-woman war is against the czars of crime, the frightened men who dread the blonde bombshell, otherwise known as Black Canary. Another episode of Flowers and Fishnets, a Black Canary podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and the voice you just heard before the theme music was indeed Brendan Fletcher, the writer of Black Canary. That audio clip comes to the show care of the irredeemable shag from FirestormFan.com and the Fire and Water podcast. Yes, my sworn enemy, Shag, did something amazingly cool and generous. He found Brendan at this year's Dragon Con and... I assume, must have held him at gunpoint for a little while, because not only did Brendan record a message for the show, Shag got him to sign a whole lot of Black Canary merchandise for me. Uh, About two weeks ago, I received a care package from Shag that I assume contained anthrax or a dead animal of some kind, so I sent it to my contact in the FBI asking if they'd sweep the package for traps or toxins, The guy sent it back, saying there wasn't anything nefarious about it. It was just a bunch of drawings of a woman in fishnets. So, what exactly was in this package? Well, unpacking it, the first thing I find is a huge folded-up poster, it's like 36 by 24 inches, of Black Canary from the first issue cover, but it's on a white background with the DCU logo. It is signed, To Ryan, thanks for being the best Canary fan, Brendan. So... That makes it official. I am the best Canary fan. From the writer himself. Yeah, that is cool. Um, And that's just the start. Next is the promotional band poster with Dinah and her bandmates. I already got one of these posters signed by Annie Wu. You'll remember Ange from the Supergirl blog, Comic Box Commentary, picked that up for me at Boston Comic Con. Well, now I've got a second copy signed by Brendan Fletcher. I need to find some way of combining or consolidating the two. The third item is a copy of the first issue cover printed on a light cardstock. I've put it on the backside of the bag that I have the first issue bagged and boarded with. And the fourth and final item is a copy of Black Canary issue 3, which is still my favorite issue of the series so far. And this is the variant cover version by Dave Bullock. I really like Bullock's work. The stuff of his that I've seen is very much in the DC animated universe style. But when I saw this cover online, I kind of glossed over it. It's an extreme close-up of Dinah's face. She's opening her mouth, and you get the the sound waves coming out of her voice distorting the title, Black Canary. It's a cool idea, but it didn't really wow me until I saw it up close in my hands. Uh, The detail on this thing is amazing. And unfortunately, I don't know enough about artistic techniques, so I don't know if this was drawn with a colored pencil or a paintbrush or even digitally. 
but if it was a brush, it's very heavy. You can see the line marks, and it has this uh, feathered look, uh, which is really pronounced on the shadows around her eyes and on her cheeks. I'll scan my copy and put it on the blog, hoping you can see what I'm talking about. Um, and of course, that comic is signed by Fletcher, too. So, a whole lot of gratitude and appreciation to Dole out here. First, Huge thanks to Brendan Fletcher for signing these things to me. They are addressed to me specifically, which means I can't sell them on eBay, damn it. Um, But Shag said that Brendan was incredibly friendly, and when he heard who the autographed comic was for, that's when Brendan grabbed the posters and gave them to Shag to add to the pile for me. That is awesome. I continue to be grateful for the support Brendan shows for this podcast, and for me, he's, he's good people which is something I never thought I would say about Shag himself. But I must. Uh, He really, really came through, uh, picking these signatures up for me and getting Brendan to record the bumper for this episode. And according to podcast law, I must now give Shag my wife. I'm going to miss her. We'll be back after a short break with a review of Black Canary, issue four. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. The Fire and Water Podcast. Celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available weekly on Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Van, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? Bad enough, I have to put up with your shenanigans every week, but... Good looking, bad tasting, full bodied, butt wasted, loose living, tight fitting. What you see ain't what you are getting. Big makeup, little breakup, she wants it. Black Canary, Issue 4, is written by Brendan Fletcher with guest artist Pia Guerra filling in for Annie Wu. Lee Loffridge and Steve Wands continue to provide excellent colors and letters. Dave Walgosh, Chris Conroy, and Mark Doyle edited the book, and Annie Wu provided the main cover. This issue's variant cover was drawn by Evan Doc Shainer, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit after the review. The story, titled You're Lost, Little Girl, opens where we left off, with Bo Maeve driving off with the kidnapped Ditto in the passenger seat. She shows Ditto mock-up cover art for her upcoming solo album, because, of course, it's all about Bo Maeve. 
Back at Black Canary's last venue, which, if I'm remembering correctly, was Keystone City, Dinah is threatening everybody, security, concert staff, her ex-husband, everybody to find out what happened to Ditto. Their tour manager, Heathcliff, finds Maeve's shawl. Dinah hits the road on her motorcycle, tracking Maeve and the enigmatic guitarist she kidnapped. Maeve stops at a gas station so she can make a secret call. Whoever she's trying to contact puts her on hold, so Maeve fills the silence by giving Ditto an ice cream and telling her backstory. And before getting into said backstory, I do want to address how Maeve treats Ditto. She's not abusing her. She's not even being mean or really bitchy. She's feeding her, and she's talking to her throughout. And there's a very clear reason for this. In Ditto... Maeve has a captive audience. Yes, that was a deliberate word choice. But Ditto is an audience regardless. And she's mute, so Maeve fills the silence with stories about her favorite subject, herself. And Bo Maeve is all about Bo Maeve, so this is the least confrontational kidnapping you can imagine. Ditto is wholly passive, and Maeve indulges herself with stories about how cool she is. There is no overt hint of menace from Maeve. Except for the fact that you know she's a little crazy, her self-importance can escalate into something truly dark if she's pushed to it. And there is still a third player in this kidnapping who we don't know yet. So, Maeve's history, at least as she tells it to Ditto. Her parents were an interracial couple from England. Maeve learned to dance from watching music videos on television. That became her thing. She started dancing and went to school for it. At some point, she dropped out and left home because she felt like her dancing talents were being exploited, but not appreciated. Throughout some of these flashback sequences, Maeve is dressed in a sort of gypsy or Romani look. I mean, that might not be what Pia Guerra was going for. That's just kind of the style that I thought she was referencing. Um, I could be wrong. Anyway, continuing, Maeve went through school, making her living dancing for musicians. There's a big emphasis throughout the flashback sequence on Maeve's dancing and her image, much more so than her actual singing talent, and that'll play out later. Maeve started a band with Paloma Terrific and Lord Byron called Alas Insane. She says this was something her dad used to say that she is repurposing as a kind of middle finger to her old man. Does she get that her father was calling her crazy? Like, yeah, this is my daughter. She's sweet and a great dancer. Alas, insane. Uh, does that go over her head or does she simply gloss over it when she's talking to Ditto? It's a little bit unclear. It also kind of sounds like the female equivalent of David Bowie's album Aladdin Sane. Anyway, her story continues back at a hotel where Maeve starts teaching Ditto to mimic her dance moves, which Ditto does pretty flawlessly. That flatters and thrills Maeve, who might not realize whether Ditto is playing her or not. Uh, Dinah tracks Maeve and Ditto to the gas station where they stopped earlier in the issue. Dinah has been getting some traffic camera information from Frankie, who is a friend of Barbara Gordon, sort of the new Oracle appearing in the new Batgirl comic. While Dinah is talking to the gas station attendant, she witnesses a carjacking. She stops and beats up the carjacker pretty effortlessly. Back at the hotel, Maeve gets a call from her mysterious contact, setting up a meeting, and she and Ditto get back in the car. During the drive, she tells Ditto about how she had stardom in her grasp, and it was taken away. Maeve was on the set of a music video when she threw a hissy fit about her wardrobe. The studio fired her and replaced her with Dinah. Maeve ripped up the severance check and returned to the set to see Dinah in the video. 
Reading between the lines of the Art and Maeve's exposition, it looks like Dinah is naturally a better singer. Or perhaps not naturally, necessarily, if her powers come from ditto and genetic tampering. Well, Maeve snapped and started a fire on the set. While people evacuated, Dinah used her sonic scream to extinguish the fire. Maeve witnessed Dinah's power and becomes jealous of the gift that Dinah has, her sonics. In the present, Maeve drives Ditto out into the woods where they meet a black ops group led by none other than Amanda Waller. Yep, Waller is still linked to Black Canary's story. The troops escort Maeve to one of their vehicles. Waller promises her she'll uphold her part of the bargain, and she refers to Ditto as Subject 8. When Waller's men move to grab Ditto, a white ninja shows up. She looks just like a female version of Storm Shadow from G.I. Joe. Speaking of which, check out G.I. Joe A Real American Headcast, hosted by Aaron Head Moss, as well as Kyle Benning and yours truly. Anyway, back to the story. The White Ninja takes out Waller's men easily and grabs Ditto. Elsewhere, Dinah has tracked Maeve and Ditto back to the hotel because here the trail has gone cold. But that's when Ditto shows up at the door. The ninja brought her back to Dinah, but did not reveal herself. And since Ditto is mute, she probably won't be explaining the circumstances of her rescue anytime soon. The epilogue for issue 4 shows Bo Maeve in a secret lab facility. Some kind of genetic material, possibly blood from Ditto, a.k.a. Subject 8, is pumped into Maeve. She lets loose an uncontrollable sonic scream that shatters the windows of the lab. So it seems like Maeve might get what she wanted, the power that Dinah has. And if it makes her a better singer, she might get her stardom back. But because this is comics, something pretty awful will probably happen first. Okay, before diving into the story, I want to comment on Pia Guerra's art. It's pretty good. It's really good, in fact. And it fits right in with the style that Annie Wu defined in the first three issues. As a transition from regular to fill-in artist, this one is really easy to roll with. If there's anything that Guerra's art lacks, I think it's the kind of dynamic panel flow, the transitions in the action beats, the energy of Annie Wu's work. I think that's the biggest difference. The character designs look similar, but Wu has a kinetic element that this issue doesn't have. But beyond the artistic style being similar, I think what really helps the artist change more than anything is Lee Lofridge's colors. I've mentioned this before, but it's worth bringing up every month. The colors on this comic are beautiful. It's such a treat to look at. And I noticed that Lafridge's name has been on the cover for every issue of the series. I heard, I think sometime last year, that more colorists were going to be receiving their much-deserved cover credit at last. Uh, But I didn't know if this was industry-wide or if it was subject to the actual publishers or the contracts of the individual colorists. Anyway, it's great to see Lafridge's name promoted on the cover of this book because the colors are something that really make Every issue of this book, and they're already written and drawn expertly, but the colors just really make it that much better. Okay, this issue was really about Bo Maeve. It was her story. Dinah barely did anything. She had a few good beats, but they were pretty minor. Last episode, I speculated that Bo Maeve was most dangerous because she was so crazy and self-absorbed that she would kidnap Ditto not for ransom, but to use Ditto to put her back on top of the music charts or the magazine covers. Well, we sort of get that here. She trades Ditto to Amanda Waller in exchange for some genetic procedure that looks like it's giving her the same power as Dinah. 
This has got to come at some kind of horrible cost. It's got to be uncontrollable, otherwise the character will get what she wants. So if she's going to have the same power as Dinah, in order to justify Maeve becoming like a dark version or an evil black canary, she needs more of a reason to hate Dinah. She needs to blame Dinah for this somehow. Um, we'll see how Brennan Fletcher makes that happen, but I'm excited. Maeve is a fun character. She's crazy in a fun way, but I'm waiting for her to really turn that corner where she becomes dangerous. At this point, she's just barely a threat. Then we've got the return of Amanda Waller. This shouldn't have surprised me. I should have seen this coming a long time ago when we got the return of Kurt Lance and the revelation that Dinah's superpower from her Team 7 days came from Ditto. Of course, Amanda Waller is all over this, and I'm of two minds here. On the one hand, I love the character of Amanda Waller. Like Going back to Suicide Squad, she's one of the most interesting, most compelling, and watchable characters in DC Stable. Her inclusion in this comic should be a great moment, but alas, <laughs> alas insane, the inclusion of Waller just reminds me of Team 7 and how awful Black Canary was represented in the New 52. Now that we know Waller is involved in Ditto's story, I am excited to see where that goes. In fact, I wouldn't mind if Diner and Waller have a face-to-face at some point in the near future. I think this creative team can actually make something really cool out of that. And the third big part of this issue is the mysterious white ninja who shows up out of nowhere and rescues Ditto. Like I said, she looks like Storm Shadow, and she has blonde hair and blue eyes. As soon as I saw her, I thought, White Canary... Not the version of White Canary we saw in the Brightest Day era of Birds of Prey, but more like the Sarah Lance version of White Canary showing up on the CW's Legends of Tomorrow, which is really, really intriguing. Maybe it's not White Canary by name, but that's the vibe I'm getting. And the fact that she appears blonde and blue-eyed, I have to wonder if beneath that mask is a heretofore unknown sister or clone of Dinah. Either way, it looks great. In fact, I had to ask Brendan Fletcher if that's what the character was. He wouldn't reveal her identity because it would spoil the fun, and I'm cool with that because the book continues to be so much fun. What Brendan did share was that the mystery of this white ninja will continue for a couple issues in the future before becoming a major part of the story arc towards the end of Black Canary's first year. I jokingly asked Brendan how issue 12 ends, and he replied, seriously, I think, with this new version of Dinah returned to her former glory. Wow. Talk about a teaser. Return to her former glory? That could mean so much, and every possibility seems more enticing than the other. So, Black Canary issue 4 wasn't really about Black Canary. Dinah was just on a hunt, and we barely spent any time with her. We do see obsession, the determination she has to find Ditto, and when they're reunited at the end, you can tell Dinah loves her like a big sister or even a mother. However, I don't think Piaguera really captures the emotion of that scene, the rage when Dinah thinks all is lost, and then the overwhelming relief and love when she sees Ditto in the doorway. Guerra tries, but I think any Wu would have sold that moment a little bit better. And I'm glad that the physical danger of Ditto's kidnapping was resolved in this issue. That plot point did not need to continue after this. We see that Dinah is driven to protect her friend, but we don't ever see any extreme lengths she's willing to go. This issue didn't really push Dinah into any new emotional territory. Like I said, the book wasn't about her this month. It's about Beau Maeve, who, despite being fun, isn't substantive enough to be a major lasting villain. Not yet. 
until the last page reveal where she has a sonic scream of her own, a bow blast to Dinah's canary cry. This issue was good, it didn't have the same action momentum of issue 3, but it made me want to see what happens next with Bo Maeve, it made me want to see Dinah reunite with Amanda Waller, and it really made me want to unmask the White Ninja. These are all good story seats, and I can't wait to see what grows from them. Luckily, since this review is coming so late, I only have to wait two weeks until the next issue. The last thing I wanted to mention was the variant cover for this issue. Evan Doc Shaner provided a cover for the Green Lantern 75th anniversary celebration. I really, really like Doc Shaner's work. I recently read the Convergence Shazam series, and his work with Captain Marvel family is awesome. He has a cartoony style that reminds me of current greats like Chris Samney and Marcos Martin. I would love to see Doc Shaner doing a Superman book or a Teen Titans book, like the classic Teen Titans with Robin, Kid Flash, and Donna Troy. The other thing about this variant cover is it shows Black Canary with Green Lantern Hal Jordan. It's a funny pairing because they're so familiar with each other because they worked with Green Arrow during the hard-traveling heroes era of Green Lantern and Green Arrow. It seems weird to kind of have them without that crucial Green Arrow hook who usually combined them, but I like this more. The thing is, and I've said this before, I don't like Black Canary and Green Arrow as a couple. They bore me together, which sucks because she was tied to him on and off again from 1969 until 2011. She's almost his sidekick in terms of how her her narrative has been told for decades as, and his partner. And even though they have no relationship in the New 52, I don't even think they've appeared together, uh, they do appear on the TV show Arrow, which has a bigger audience than any of these comics. If you're putting two superheroes together as a romantic couple or just superhero partners, you want to maximize their uniqueness. Use them as foils that accentuate each other's powers. Black Canary and Starman was a great couple because they were so different in appearance and powers. Black Canary and The Ray are even interesting more for the same reason. Black Canary and Batman, Black Canary and Dr. Midnight, and yes, Black Canary and Green Arrow are just a couple of street-level fighters who usually do the same thing. And Black Canary and Green Arrow, they're both monochromatic. They don't play visually off of each other. And because of the comics, she has always fallen into his shadow. But Black Canary and Green Lantern? That's a couple I would have no problem with. Hal Jordan has a crappy track record with women, and Dinah Lance has a blind spot for the wrong kind of man. That would be crazy, sexual, hard-charging couple that supplement each other's weaknesses rather than just duplicate visual and fighting styles. Plus, Black Canary has yellow hair, Green Lantern's weakness. Last episode received Twitter favorites and retweets from Trekker Talk, Margaret Savage, Eli, Ange, Blood Zombies 1, Ian Croyle, Anna, Nobody Cares, Miharu, Page Killer Cullen, Steve Lieber, G.I. Joe Headcast, The Hammer Strikes, and Brandon Fletcher. Over on the Flowers and Fishnets blog, we got a couple comments about last episode, uh, which covered Black Canary Issue 3. Ange, from the Supergirl blog, said, Agree that this was one hell of an issue. In particular, I thought the shifts from concert to battle was very well done, especially with music instructions like Accelerando mixed in. I also thought that the coloring by Lee Loffridge added so much to the story. Not all of DCU has been for me, but this is definitely one that works. Now give me four more pages. I completely agree we're on the same page as last issue, and hey, at least this most recent issue did have the four pages returned. 
Martin Gray from Too Dangerous for a Girl said, I appreciate the craft of this issue, but it didn't grab me as much as you guys. I think I've said previously that the pop group milieu just isn't for me. I guess I was one of the few kids who never wanted to pick up a guitar and get on stage, and being in a band just feels wrong for Dinah. It's likely something to do with the fact that when I first met her, she was middle-aged, and despite being drawn younger than her years prior to the wizard debacle, she always seemed a woman in at least her late 30s. I get that these days everyone in the DCU is younger, but still, to me, she's Roy's Aunt Dinah. Plus, the way Annie Wu draws her, she looks about a decade older than her bandmates. Still, supposedly she's packing in the music once she's paid her debt. Let's hope so. I like her without a supporting cast of cutely named trend bags. Ouch. That said, I don't want Wu, Brendan Fletcher, and Lee Lawfridge to go anywhere. They are excellent creators. This issue really is a masterclass in how to tell a story in two time periods, stylishly and without losing clarity. Completely agree there, Martin. Uh, Then he said, Ah, Ryan, we're never going to go out shopping for fringed stagewear together. I hate the look Dinah sported in this issue. She looks like a cross between a hooker and a scarecrow, and I've always defended Dinah against accusations that fishnets make her look cheap. Well, ripped fishnets certainly do, and those pop socks length boots and the see-through shirt on the cover, I don't think it suits her at all. Sure, Dinah has traditionally dressed sexily, but she's generally looked classy rather than, how shall I say it, unfinished? That Minx Maeve is intriguing. She'll likely become Mauve Canary, but I'd love her to have changed her name from Mavis Trent. Hawkman throwback. Uh, Ruth Sutherland from the Trekker Talk podcast said, Another great episode of Flowers and Fishnets. I'm really enjoying your enthusiastic reviews. I also wanted to write in and say that I'm a Twin Peaks fan too. We're currently re-watching the original series to be ready for the new episodes. Uh, that was a reference that I made to uh, when I was promoting the Radio vs. the Martians podcast and the Twin Peaks episode that they said. And the we that she's talking about is her husband, Darren Sutherland. They both do Trekker Talk podcast, which is awesome. I should actually make that one of my recommendations for the next episode. Uh, finally, Craig McDonald said, I thought it was a fun issue, though I was surprised at the revelation that Ditto's previous captors used her to give Black Canary her sonic scream slash canary cry. Or did I read that wrong? It seems to be an attempt to give Dinah a daughter she can look after and thus establish a bit of a family dynamic for the book and create long-lasting characters for her, outside of Oliver Queen and or her ex-husband Kurt, to draw her into stories or situations that she might not normally find herself in, being attacked by aliens, for example. Yeah, I don't think you were misreading anything. I think that's exactly the approach that they're going for, and that's what the characters are being used for. That's, that's what's going on, so... And that does it for this episode of Flowers and Fishnets. Many thanks to everyone who left feedback on the last episode, and endless appreciation goes out to the irredeemable Shag and Brendan Fletcher for the swag. I love it. If you enjoyed this episode, you can leave comment on the blogger page, blackcanaryfan.blogspot.com. There you can contact me with any questions or comments. You can also find me on Facebook and on Twitter using the handle at blackcanaryfan or at ryandaily01. Or you can search the username Count Druncula. Flowers and Fishnets is not affiliated with DC Comics, and the views expressed on the show are mine alone. All music, audio clips, and quoted text are used for entertainment purposes, and are believed covered under fair use. And I make no money off this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening. <laughs>